0: Welcome back to Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC-focused podcast from The Athletic. After our own winter break, we're back and boy have we got a lot to catch up on. On today's episode, we'll look back on the Blues cruise to the FA Cup fourth round as well as reflecting on all the games that happened whilst we were away. We'll also look ahead to the weekend's match against Burnley at the Bridge, catch up on what's happening slash happened away from the men's senior team, answer your questions and meet another cult hero. That's all to come on Straight Out of Cobham. Yeah, hello again, listener. Thanks for inviting us into your ears. Whether you're a first-timer or an early adopter, we're grateful that you've hit the download button. If you could like and subscribe too, that would be delightful. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, and every week I'm joined by the Athletics team of Chelsea experts. With me today are Liam Toomey and Dominic Fifield. Simon Johnson's off games this week after a punishing Christmas schedule. Um, Chaps, the festive period pretty relentless for footballers, and therefore by association, us too. Liam, I know you managed to get away though. Generally, how have you found it?
1: Yeah, good. I'm slightly worried now, though, about us, because I think we're, we're sort of one injury away from an injury crisis, aren't we? We gave Simon a, a, three days off, and he used that time to get ill.
0: <laughs> Dom, were you working pretty much relentlessly throughout? Yeah,
2: although the output doesn't suggest that much, <laughs> but yeah, I did. A, I did a few games. I, I uh, followed um, teams up and down the country, and uh, yeah, I love it. In fairness, I love, I love, I love the festive period. I think I know we all bemoan the fact that uh, they play too many games and and you know tired legs etc. But Christmas without it would be pretty dull, to be honest.
0: Yeah, agreed. Uh, good stuff. Let's crack on with the show, and we'll start with the FA Cup game against Forest. We'll get to what happened Premier League-wise in our absence shortly, but as it's freshest in our minds, let's start with the felling of Forest. First half goals from Callum Hudson-Odoi and Ross Barkley, remember him? Saw Chelsea easing to the fourth round for the 22nd successive season. Um, Liam, you were there yesterday, as was I. uh, The kind of routine win that Frank Lampard and co. have been craving this season.
1: Yeah, definitely, and I think that was reflected in the team that he picked You know, 10 senior internationals. The only person who wasn't was Rhys James, who will be playing for England sooner rather than later. So it was a really strong team. I think you you, you really got the sense that Lampard was keenly aware that he wanted a a comfortable win at Stamford Bridge and that he's also taking the FA Cup seriously. You know, the message coming from Chelsea all season long has been that while this might be a transition, Lampard is still being judged on how competitive Chelsea are and it's not just top four, it's being competitive on all fronts. And I think. The FA Cup's been a big part of Chelsea's winning culture over the Abramovich period, and I think he's quite keen to, to maintain that. And we'll see who they get in the next round. But this was a, a team picked to do a job, and they did it fairly comfortably in the end.
0: Yeah, Dom. The natural conversation to have is about where this lies on the list of priorities. It's kind of difficult to say without knowing what the fourth round draw is, but also without knowing what's going to happen in the Champions League against Bayern Munich, because it could quite quickly jump up to the to the second most important competition that Chelsea are in this season.
2: Yeah, well, yeah. Liam's right. I mean, it's, they're still judged on silverware, aren't they? I and mean, that, that is a demanding uh, levels of, of Chelsea. And if Lampard gets an extended run in the in the FA Cup, then that's brilliant because you know realistically speaking do we expect them to win the champions league no not really they're clearly not going to challenge for the premier league title um although i think you know finishing top four would be a fine achievement for his first season in charge but the yeah it's the gloss isn't it the fa cup if they if they do well in that competition then great and look Everything about Sunday's game was perfect for them It gave them a chance to to use fringe players To use young players Against a team that made 10 changes themselves In the Championship With a team with other priorities And and Chelsea eased through without any real difficulty at
0: all We'd usually be talking, Liam, about which young players impressed you At You know, a Mark Gurhey or a a Billy Gilmore Maybe Um, Gilmore was ill so he didn't play Also, Chelsea use young players in the Premier League these days, so I'm I'm interested to know what you thought of Ross Barkley and Pedro, potentially Pedro's last appearance, or certainly one of the last, and and Ross Barkley, another player who's playing for his future, really.
1: Yeah, I wrote about this after the game, and it it, it felt like Lampard finally decided to take a look at players that he's basically relegated to the back of his mind for the last two months um, for the the games that really matter, And, and I think a lot of them are playing... If not for their immediate futures, then certainly to prove that they can be part of Chelsea for what Lampard is building beyond this season. The fact that Olivier Giroud didn't even get on the pitch suggests that he won't make it out of January as a Chelsea player one way or the other. But uh, I thought Pedro was quite lively, um, playing off the left, which he hasn't actually done much in his Chelsea career, given he was often playing with Hazard or Willian. Um, And Chelsea were at their most dangerous when he was sort of cutting inside and exchanging passes, that's what led to the first goal, which Hudson O'Doy took very well. Um Ross Barkley had a Ross Barkley game. He had some very good moments. Um most notably the goal he ended up scoring not just the finish but the quick switch of play out of Hudson out to Hudson Adoy, the Lampard esque run into the box <laughs> You know, gambling on an opportunity, which he doesn't necessarily do enough. But there are also loose touches, bad decisions on the ball, which we're quite used to seeing from Barkley as well. And Lampard was visibly frustrated with him at times, and even more frustrated with Michi Bachwai, who kind of had a a personal headers and volleys drill given the the service he was getting from Reese James and and Hudson O'Doy in both halves and couldn't do anything with it really. And um, I'm not sure how much Lampard really learned about those players from that game. He admitted afterwards it's quite difficult to draw conclusions from games like this, especially when, as you know, Forrest made a lot of changes of their own. Um, But I don't think any of them massively helped their cause or or changed their situations too much.
0: Well, listener, you've got the drop on us. You know uh, which mid-ranking championship or League One team Chelsea have been drawn against at home in uh, round four of the FA Cup. They will play said opponent on the last weekend of January. Next, we'll catch up on what happened in the Premier League in our absence. This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic, fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each hand-picked especially from our selection of a hundred brands including established names, up-and-coming designers and exclusive brands you won't find anywhere else. Try on everything at home and style with other items in your wardrobe. You can then pay for what you love and send back the rest. For your stylist time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. Remember, you try before you buy at home. Delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. Get started with Stitch Fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk slash athletic right now. That's s-t-i-t-c-h-f-i-x.co.uk forward slash athletic. So, we dropped our Best of the Decade show pre-Christmas. It's available in the archives and well worth a listen if you haven't already done so. Our last regular show was a preview of the Spurs game. There was a mild sense of trepidation, but it turns out there needn't have been. Frank Lampard taught Jose Mourinho a thing or two about tactics, which you just love to see. The Blues followed that up, though, with another one of those pesky limp defeats to teams in the bottom half, as Southampton won at the bridge. That preceded the first come-from-behind win of the season at Arsenal, which was followed by a frustrating draw at Brighton. It means Chelsea are still in fourth place, five points ahead of Manchester United, who are inexplicably fifth. Um, Dom, to put it mildly, (laughs) Chelsea are inconsistent. They haven't had the same result in successive matches since the seven-match winning streak ended in October. Um, Have you got any thoughts as to why things are going this way and why they're so good against Big six teams and not against everybody else at the moment. Well,
2: the home form is clearly an issue. Um, breaking down stubborn teams um, has been a problem all season, really. Uh, Spurs was a master, was a tactical masterclass, as you as you made the point. He, Frank Lampard surprised Mourinho with his three man at the at the back formation. I have to say that when don't, that... don't you mean Antonio Conte surprised? <laughs> well, yeah, according to Mourinho, every time he's done that. It's made an impact. He did it at Wolves, I think, early in the season. It was. It's then he's he sort of faced with a dilemma in the subsequent match as to whether he retains it because it's been so successful, and and it hasn't worked two games running. Um, it, it didn't work back against Valencia, I think, that followed on from from Wolves in the autumn, and it, it certainly didn't work against Southampton. Was it the next game after after Spurs? So it's it's there is a dilemma there that he's he's having to pick. Formations for specific opponents, um, I have to say they didn't play in the first half at Arsenal. They were fortunate still to be in it, but it, a fantastic second half recovery. And they showed all that sort of streetwise energy as well, which you really wanted to see, and com- completely capitalised on Arsenal's fragility and, you know, just brittle confidence as well in that fixture, which was a, a really encouraging performance in the second half of their But then looked leggy at Brighton. Um, and, and maybe that is a sign of the times as well in the sheer number of games, and when you're relying upon players who aren't used to playing at, at Premier League level, you know, for a 38 game season at this level, um, and that, that caught up with them at, at the Amex. Mm.
0: The Spurs performance, Liam, was the best of the season by a wide margin, I think we'd all agree. Uh, but the Arsenal one, even though it was poor for 45, maybe even 60 minutes, in some ways more impressive because they found a way to come back and win a game in which they weren't playing well. And that's been a real problem once Chelsea go behind this season. Previously, they'd never come back to win a game. So to do it in this, which wasn't just against a big rival, but it was Arteta's first home game as well. So Arsenal were particularly motivated. It was impressive in terms of the spirit of the performance, if not the manner of it.
1: Yeah, it was encouraging for the spirit they showed. And I think it was an important step for a team that's still trying to find itself, really. Um, I I thought it said at least as much, if not more, about Arsenal, to be honest, given that they were pretty much gifted the equaliser and then some of the most generous defending I've ever seen from Mustafi on Abraham. Just take as many touches as you want before you score this winning goal. Um, But, you know, that was a big win. But I think the Christmas period as a whole has kind of shown all of Chelsea's issues in, in microcosm, really. You've got the the fatigue issue, which Dom referenced. I think Lampard has narrowed down in the same way that, that Sarri and Conte did, really, a, a group of 14 players that we saw beyond that for the FA Cup game. But for the games that actually matter, Lampard has a very defined list at this point of the players that he trusts and the ones that he doesn't. And the ones that he trusts are getting a little bit leggy. And I think... This FA Cup game, it'll be interesting to see how much of a boost that gives them physically. Otherwise, it might be the February winter break before we actually see some time off for them. And then you've got the the fact that the three most consistent goal threats are all age 22 or younger. You're just not going to get consistent production out of those guys Abraham's done phenomenally well to have the season he's having but he's shouldering too much of a burden particularly when someone like Batshuayi has offered nothing since scoring scoring against Ajax in Amsterdam
0: Uh, Dom you mentioned about how you enjoy the festive period football wise Mm. which we all do is there a case, more broadly than just Chelsea, but for saying they should reschedule that middle round of games, the 28th, 29th, because you got to New Year's Day and you had the kind of farcical scenes with Newcastle losing four players in one game. You mentioned the Brighton performance was a bit limp and you can't blame these top-level athletes for not being able to continually perform at their best when they're exhausted. I quite quite agree
2: and yeah, definitely there's a case for that. And Usually speaking, the, the elite clubs, because they've got... 25-man international squads cope with that far better. I don't even, I mean, Chelsea are in a unique situation for them at the moment. They're more like the rest in as much as the guys that they're turning to are inexperienced and and generally aren't used to playing at at this level week in, week out. Um, but you look at the likes of Liverpool and and, and Man- Manchester City, and you think, well, it, they should be able to get through this period perfectly fine. So actually, it gives them an unfair advantage. It, you could easily snip out that. I don't think the Championship played around that that didn't time, did they? No. So I mean, there's a there's a case for that, and and. It's, well, look, it's it's us gorging ourselves on, on football. The weird thing is that we can complain about it. And, I, you know, you look at the games and then a lot of them aren't actually that enjoyable because players are playing semi-fit and they're all carrying knocks, they're all carrying fatigue. But the sort of flip side of that is that the first day without football over the festive period, you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs wishing there was a game on. Um, maybe they could stagger it better. Maybe they could, maybe, as long as it's fair and they offer, you know, clubs have got the same period of between games, maybe they maybe get around it that way. But, yeah, that round of games was probably extraneous.
1: You could almost structure it like international fixtures, couldn't you, where you go yeah. from sort of Thursday to Tuesday and there's a couple of games on each day, Which so is there's effectively... always something to watch. But at the moment, it's just crazy. Chelsea were absolutely dead for the last half an hour against Brighton, you could see it. And Brighton weren't great either. It was a terrible game, in fact. Yeah, it was. It's, it's,
2: it's strange, though, that a team like Brighton, who have had their own injury problems, OK, they've maybe in the key areas they've managed to to, to exchange players and for, for games and pick certain players for certain games. I know Lewis Dunk missed a game over the festive period and they, they swapped the centre-halves around and some of the wide players as well. But a team like Brighton should not be able to outplay Chelsea for the tw- last 20 minutes of a game. I mean, that shouldn't happen. Brighton squad should not be. I mean, in a normal scenario, that wouldn't be the case. And Chelsea, with a transfer window behind them and, and, and additions, would, would bat themselves to do that. But, you know, I, generally speaking, I mean, I've watched games over this festive period where literally they've been dropping like flies. Players have just been absolutely shattered. Um, and and it's, that isn't enjoyable.
0: Well, the Blues have definitely turned their form around. Just one defeat in five in all competitions now. Burnley visits Stamford Bridge on Saturday. we we'll look ahead to that next. So, not for the first time, there'll be Claret in West London on Saturday as Burnley visit the bridge. Sean Dyches team won in the cup, but in the league, they're in no form whatsoever, having lost three on the spin. Four points above the relegation zone, only won twice away from home all season. Uh, So, Dom, that makes them favourites to win this game. Absolutely, the way things
2: are going. I mean, it'll be another... Test of whether Chelsea can break down obdurate de- opponents because that's that's we know what how Burnley will play. They will they will be a threat at set pieces. They have a lot of aerial presence. Um, whatever combination they they come up with up up top, um, but they are reliant upon stubborn defence and, and an industrious midfield. And so, how do Chelsea? Where is the spark coming from to yeah to unhinge them to to, to get in behind and 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 create? chances against them that that'll be the key we've seen Burnley at the bridge in recent years come and um infuriate Chelsea and and indeed thrive at Stamford Bridge and they've done well there. They, they won there under Conte uh, then there was a very feisty two-all draw quite recently late on in the season I and mean, it's it, it's a challenge that one for for Chelsea
0: um Liam this was the game that was kind of Christian Pulisic's coming out party earlier in the season he didn't play against Forest because he was injured. Uh, as far as we know, he's likely to return this weekend. It, interesting start to his Chelsea career. It's it's kind of been a bit streaky and particularly away from home. He's, he's almost done a bit better than he has at, at Stamford Bridge. How do you assess his first half of a season in English football?
1: Yeah, he's sort of gone the way the team's gone, hasn't he? In that he's been better away from Stamford Bridge generally, but he... He had a difficult start. Lampard publicly challenged him in a way that I don't think we've really seen Lampard do with any other player, actually. And um, and, and he really responded well to that, had that amazing 5-6 game streak, mm. kicked off by that Burnley performance, which really felt like a, a proper, you know, here's my arrival into the Premier League. And I think he showed enough during that stretch to suggest that this is a guy talented enough for Chelsea to be building around for the long term now, that he can be a pillar of the next very good Chelsea team. But it's easy to forget just how young he is. He's played more than 100 senior games in two countries, but he's still 22. Um, And so I think he's still adapting to the league physically. This is his first season in Europe without a winter break. Um, So this has probably affected him as much as anyone. And he did actually towards that sort of hot streak look a little bit jaded I thought because he'd played every game in the Premier League and Europe Lampard wasn't rotating him with hudson adoy struggling himself so I think it will continue to go that way he'll he'll come in Hudson-Odoi will go out and and it will each of them will be pushed on by each other I think with Willian so far being very consistent on the other side but no real worries about him longer term it's just an adaptation process.
0: It's difficult for him, Dom, because the price tag, as much as anything, isn't it? You tend to look at that before the age. I think.
1: Yeah, like, and I guess he
2: was the big new arrival in you know during a transfer ban. They managed to get him in. Um, Kovacic obviously signed as well, but we'd seen him before, so there was expectation heaped on his shoulders. Yes, but but yeah, as fifty million pounds these days is not. What it was, um, it's still a significant sum of money, and you're still expecting him to to thrive eventually. And I'm sure he will. I mean, he didn't have much of a summer break either, did he? he had the, is it the Gold Cup they cut, played? In? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I mean he got
1: all the way to the final in that competition, and it, then he cut his post-tournament break yeah. short, didn't he? I mean, and, and that
2: was that was him attempting to be positive and to show that he wanted to be part of the the Chelsea family early, which is which is positive. Um, I, I've got no doubts that he'll he'll thrive in the long term but i mean that is an area of this chelsea squad where actually they have got options i mean we don't mention Pe- pedro because we 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 think that he might leave at some stage but look if if he stuck about until the end of his contract in the summer you know pretty much you're going to get something out of him and certainly in in certain games you can pick and choose when you play him just to give the others a bit of a breather hudson adoy has had his dip but then we we shouldn't underestimate the the severity of that injury that he had towards the end of last season and, and the amount of time it will take someone of his age to get back into a rhythm. He appears to be getting back that way now. There are options for Lampard to explore wide. Um, it's it's more you know, the centre-forward backup that, that would be an issue for me in, the, in this window in particular.
0: Well, we shall see if uh, Pulisic gets recalled, if Callum can continue his good form and if Chelsea can snap the run of poor results at home to strugglers. Three o'clock UK time on Saturday for that one. Some listener questions for us to ponder now. You can tweet yours to me at Matt Davis Adams or Dom or Liam at your leisure and we'll answer the best of them. A spiky one from Sam to start with. He asks Whose bright idea was it to send Ampedu on loan to one of the best teams in Germany? Like Chaloba at Napoli, we've wasted a season of one of our best prospects. Liam, he hasn't played very much and that's not ideal. He is getting to train with a team that's flying, winning at the top of the league. Does that make any difference? He's experiencing a different type of football and a different type of culture. But we would rather that he was getting some game time, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I mean that's not nothing. The things that you said, and I think when Nathaniel Chalobah has been asked about his time at Napoli, he's actually said it was very. He found it very useful, even though he didn't get many minutes on the pitch. But clearly, it's not what Chelsea had in mind when they when they sent him on loan. I think the model internally that was being discussed was Andreas Christensen at Borussia Mönchengladbach and the idea that Ampadu could make a similar leap playing for an upwardly mobile club in Germany, in the Champions League, playing against top players domestically and in Europe. It was felt that he was at that level where he could make that leap and so far it hasn't proven that way and I don't think that's necessarily a reflection on him. He's just come into a very settled, successful team with a a really, really good coach and Julian Nagelsmann who, who clearly has a a very defined idea of of his best group and the way he wants to play. And it's been quite difficult for for Ampadu to break into that. But um, as we understand it, Chelsea don't have a recall clause in January. Clearly, if it's obviously not working for both clubs, then there's a possibility there could be a discussion and an arrangement come to for the the good of the player. But as it stands, he will be at RB Leipzig for the rest of the season and he'll just have to make the best of it, I think.
2: But if you were were the manager of RB Leipzig and you had a player of Ampadu's quality who can fill in a number of positions, you wouldn't let him go, especially when you're challenging for the Bundesliga.
0: Yeah, they're an injury away from him being a key player.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And
0: it will rub off on
2: him and and living in a different culture in itself um, will be of huge benefit to his his long-term future.
1: Well, he's already changed his haircut, so he's he's, he's clearly involving significantly, isn't he? <laughs> Off the pitch, if not on it.
0: Uh Liam, we've had loads of people get in touch asking for some transfer news. Are there any definitive targets that you're aware of that the club have got in January?
1: I mean, there's, there's some that we've already reported. I mean, Simon wrote last month that they they like Ben Chilwell, that he would be the number one target left back. But He's not coming in January. Exactly. Um And even in the summer, you know, Leicester, OK, they've shown that they they're prepared to sell their best players or what people perceive to be their best players, but it's usually on their price and on their terms. So that won't be an easy deal to do whenever Chelsea try to do it. The 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 most pressing priority is a striker to compete with Abraham, but also to take some of the burden away from him. Batshuayi has not been particularly useful to Lampard for, for two and a half months now. Lampard does not think Olivier Giroud fits his style of play at all. And they've been quite clear in recent days that if they can secure a replacement, Giroud will be allowed to go. So I think that if there's one deal they do in January, it will be to bring a striker in. And we've all heard the names that have been linked. The the problem you return to is that good players are not readily available in January, particularly when they're already in good situations and doing well.
0: Uh, Elsewhere, AW says, Callum did much better on the right than the left wing yesterday. Does Lampard get that that's his best position in the future? Dom, I wonder if it was just that yesterday he was playing against a yeah. championship reserve left-back.
2: Yeah, and as I said, mentioned earlier, we have to give Callum Hudson-Odoi time as well to to get back to full fitness, confidence and and rhythm um, in his game. It would have done in the world of good to tear a strip off, as you say, a reserve left-back from the championship. Um he can op- i'm i'm sure Callum Hudson-Odoi could operate off either wing um he's got the talent to do that um in fact within games he's switching anyway isn't he so I mean, it's not we shouldn't get too stuck on he's got to be on this side or that side he 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 can thrive wherever he's got the world at his feet in terms of his future um and what he can achieve in the game um the, the interesting thing about Callum Hudson-Odoi is the impact that his signing of that new contract has had on Elsewhere within the squad, and we, Simon, mentioned it in that piece on Tammy Abraham, and the 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 fact that 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 youth team players are now looking and seeing that, oh he's a player that's earning 120 grand or whatever it is a week. Maybe my next contract should reflect the progress that I've made in this first team as well, and I think that will have implications for for Chelsea as a club.
0: Mm. And finally, the key question from Freddie is the FA Cup kit up there with the greatest. Of all time. It, Liam, this is an absolute genius piece of marketing, because I expected the reaction before I saw the kit to be, this is such a cynical cash-in, how dare they create a kit just for the FA Cup? And it's absolutely beautiful, and that's all everybody's talking about.
1: Much nicer than the home kit. I think people do do like a retro look, don't they? Yeah. If it, if it's done well and presented well. I would have preferred for the sponsors to not be there at all, but I understand you know, we live in the real world, and that's not why those agreements are signed. But the fact that they've sort of faded them out, the same shade of blue as the shirt, and so the the badge and the the markings really show out all the more. I think is is a really nice look, and particularly the shade the shade of yellow, um, I think, is a really nice retro look. It's a uh, yeah, it's a it's a strong it's a strong kit. I, thinking back over the years, I really liked actually Chelsea's yellow away kit in the Sarri season. Um, I thought that was really nice, but again, we're talking more or less the same shade of yellow. So maybe I've just got that on the brain. <laughs> you, you really rolled back the years there. With that. <laughs> roll back <laughs> the year. Measure. Roll back the year. But it's it's difficult to yeah. to come up with a
0: new kit every season, isn't it? Because you can't yeah, yeah, you, you can't just go back to the well and say, "Hey, we're doing a replica of this kit from 1984 because people liked it."
1: Well, this is why I quite like the home shirt from this year. I know it was very divisive because of the pattern and everything. Interesting. But I think, yeah. yeah, if you're going to do a different mm-hmm. one every year, you have to take a few risks. It's going to be the same shade of blue, so <laughs> you have to find ways within that to make it distinctive. You know what kit? Actually, I've just come to mind the 2012 third kit. Do you remember the black? I remember the home because the, the home
0: was my favourite. Yeah, year.
1: The, but the black one with um little blue sort of Croatia-esque oh, yes. spots oh, yeah, nice, yeah. on yeah. it. Yeah. I really liked that. It was like a sort of um, dark Croatia-type <laughs> kit. Uh, yeah, quite. quite like, they, didn't, into, they didn't wear it too much.
2: Into Liam's psyche here. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Stitchfix.co.uk is
0: the place where <laughs> you, live. Good kit chat. And then finally, this week it's time for our cult heroes section, where we focus on a Chelsea favourite from days of yore. With Burnley visiting this weekend, we've picked a man who played for both the Blues and the Clarets. Frank Sinclair played more than two hundred games for Chelsea, having come through the club's youth setup, going on to win the FA Cup in 1997 and the and the League Cup a year later. Simon Johnson interviewed Frank for the Athletic recently. It's a fascinating and wide ranging piece, which comes highly recommended. I'm pleased to say that Frank joins us on the line now. Uh, Frank, Chelsea was, and in many ways still is, the club closest to your heart. Tell us about how much it meant to you to make your debut and what you remember about that game at Luton in 1991.
3: Yeah, Luton. Yeah, um, obviously it meant the world to me. You know, uh, um, it's no secret that you know uh, I, it was my boyhood club. I supported the football club from the age of nine. The very first match I ever went to watch was, was a, a Chelsea game. I think that was in the old division... Uh, the old Division 2 at the time Um, and um, basically I went on a school trip um, you know, it was my local side. even though I was, I was like born and raised in South London, I was literally sort of like Clapham. So it was just the other side of the bridge I lived. So, uh, very close to, to Chelsea really. So, you know, I joined the club at the age of 11 and, and through the, the tutelage of, of Gwyn Williams, you know, I went through all the age groups from 11 until I left school. So my full, full, um, experience of being in senior school was also, um, mirrored by me being at Chelsea throughout that time. So it was good for me because I had a goal, um, you know, from a very young age. I had a goal and I had a dream of of obviously putting on that shirt and playing for Chelsea one day. You know, the the, the closest I, I obviously got to it was being a ball boy. You know, every every weekend on a Saturday, I'd be one of the ball boys. Um, it was normally the school boys that were at the club um, that were signed that that got the the privilege really of, of being a ball boy for the home games so you know from the age of sort like 12, 13 onwards I was always a ball boy for the games on a Saturday uh, I played for my school or my district in the mornings, and then made my way to Stamford Bridge and be a ball boy so the atmosphere was already in me you know the preparation of being in front of big crowds and stuff I was, I was getting that you know um without really knowing, sort of, um, subconsciously. So, yeah, obviously, when I got the opportunity, when I came back from my loan at West Brom, I got the opportunity to play in the first team, thrown in at the deep end, really, um, and just fully really enjoyed it. You know, um, I always... I was always confident of my own ability from a very young age. So, um, you know, I took it in my stride. Obviously, it didn't start too well with being 3-0 down. I think uh, in the first half, if I remember rightly, uh, Graham (laughs) Lasso got sent off as well. And um, we we went back out in the second half with 10 men and and managed to get a draw out of that game. Don't ask me how. But um, it just showed the spirit of the team because it was a very young side as well. I remember being in in that team also was the likes of Dave Lee, Jason Cundy, Gareth Hall, Graham Stewart, I think was playing as well. Uh, Obviously, Andy Myers was a 16-year-old who made his debut coming on as a sub in the same game. Um, So, you know, the youth was, was looking very healthy at the football club.
2: Frank, can I ask you about a, a game where you didn't come back? Um a, a game at Nottingham Forest quite early on in your time. Yeah. I, I think it was a seven yeah. niler. Um and Gary That's Crosby correct. gave you a, a few nightmares. But didn't you have an exchange with Brian Clough post match, which is quite interesting?
3: Yeah, I did. And it was it was it was a tough time at Chelsea at the time because it was going for a bad period. Um, you know, I got thrown in. I think there was problems with Tony Dirigo at the club because he wanted to go. And the club was sort of like stopping him from moving on, and there was there was a there was a massive um, problem within the changers, within the players, about just the spirit of the team and that. And you know, being a youngster, being thrown in in, in such a big game. I remember he he played me at left back in that game, and Tony Dorigo was playing left side midfield. Um, and to be honest, I think he'd be the first to admit that he just chucked it in, no, right. didn't try in the game. And and you know, we you look at Nottingham Forest side at the time. I think Stuart Pierce scored a hat trick that day from left back uh, Gary Cosby was a top winger uh, Gary Charles was the England right back at the time so I'm playing against two very good players on the right hand yeah. side and you know for Tony Dorigo he, he didn't really help me out in that game for a young kid um, and Cluffy, Cluffy called side. you to
2: one side did he
3: Yeah, he did. He pulled me as I was going in. He obviously saw that I was obviously a little bit despondent. And um, he just pulled me aside as I was going down the tunnel after the game. And he just pushed, grabbed me by the collar and just went, Oi, lad, um, you know, keep your head up. Don't worry about today. You're going to be a player. I know what you're all about, sort of thing. And it it was amazing because I didn't expect it off of him. And he didn't have to really do it. But that gave me the self belief that, you know, very quickly that yes, it was a poor performance, but it still gave me the self belief that. You know, I was I was good enough for the for the level. And it always stuck with me for a long time that, you know, through the hard times and stuff like that. Things like that I stick with you when people, you know, you look at legends in the game give you encouragement. Um, you know, it goes a long way.
1: Hi, Frank, it's Liam. Um I wanted to ask Hi, you I wanted to ask you about the ninety seven FA Cup final because one of the favorite yeah. one of my favourite things that um, I remember hearing about that game was you running up the right wing as as Bobby Di Matteo was running over the halfway line and screaming at him to pass yeah. you the ball and you were absolutely livid when the ball left his boot. And uh, um, I, I just wanted to ask, how significant was that, that game, that moment for, for you, for hometown boys like you and, and Eddie Newton and, and how significant do you think that win was in sort of setting in motion the, the chain of events to, to lead to the modern Chelsea really?
3: Yeah, I think it was very significant. I mean, when you look at the individuals in the game, I think it was significant for certain individuals because, you know, the likes of myself, Eddie Newton, Steve Clark, uh, Dennis Wise, if I can remember rightly, you know, we went there with a firm belief that we could beat Man United, even though they were probably the best team in in, in, in England, if not Europe at the time. But... We done the double over him, you know, home and away in the league that season. So we really fancied if anyone could beat him in a one off game that we could and obviously, you know, it didn't go our way on the day. So we had the memories of that in the, you know, in the back of the head going into this ninety seven cup final. I remember I you know, I used to run with Eddie Newton all the time. We were best mates growing up at the football club. Um, from the age of eleven we played together. So we we always spoke about, you know, if we ever got the opportunity to go back to Wembley and, and put the the wrongs right of '94, and you know we were we were fortunate enough still both to be at the football club and both to be in a situation where we were both starting in in the the next opportunity that we got to win the cup. So you know, individually it was very significant. I think it was significant in the the direction the football club was going in. You know, Glenn Hoddle being at the club, I think he transformed. You know where the club was at and where we were looking to go, and in the type of football that we played. You know, it totally changed under under his um, management and his coaching ability. And we started going in the right way. You know, signing top players and and being able to compete and realistically compete not just like compete because of the effort that the the 11 players put on wearing a blue shirt we we started to get quality players into the football club and um yeah, that, that final was, was excellent. And I do remember the goal, you know, um, obviously, Robbie, it, you know, you, you've always got a game plan for a game, um, but you never expect to to get your noses in front so early in a game. And I remember they, they took kickoff and gave the ball straight to us straight away. And we, we just went on the counter-attack straight away. And I just saw a, a, a mountain of space in front of me and a bomb down the right hand. Dan would just do, it was making a similar run, but more inside the pitch to support Robbie. And we're just thinking he's 35, 40 yards out or whatever he might have been. And I'm just thinking, just slide me out to the right-hand side. And I'm just going to prepare myself to put a ball in the box early and get him defending their own goal. And he just took a shot. And I'm thinking, what are you doing shooting from there? <laughs> and, then, and then the next minute, you just see the dip on it in the last... You know, last actions of the ball. And, you know, I, I just went chasing them all, all around the pitch. And I went from the right-hand side of the pitch all the way over to the dugout. So by the time we'd finished celebrating, I was I was proper breathing after three minutes <laughs> of the game. But, uh, you yeah, know, it, it put us in, in, a, in a great position to really calm down and relax because there's always the atmosphere of a cup final and, and the nerves and, and all that side of it. But that, that calmed us down straight away. And I thought we totally controlled the game after then.
0: Finally then Frank, uh, you scored in the 98 League Cup final also against Middlesbrough. It proved to be a, your final yeah. game for the club, which I'm sure was was bittersweet, but when you look back on your your Chelsea career as a whole, you, you must be really proud that you got as much out of it as you as you possibly could have imagined, I guess.
3: Yeah, it certainly did. You know, I think you know, if it wasn't to the situation of where the club, the direction the club was going, I thought I had plenty more to give. To be honest, you know, I left the club at 26. For me, you know, my best years was always going to be still ahead of me, but I never got the opportunity to display that at Chelsea. But you know, I thoroughly enjoyed the time when I was there. You know, when you look at the, the type of players that replaced me, the likes of Marcel Gasai and, and Robert Ferrer um, coming from Barcelona, and AC Milan, you know, you could see the direction that football club was going in. There. Um, so, you know, I always remained a fan, always stayed close to the club and it was always the first result uh, I, I looked for as soon as I walked off the pitch when I was the City. Um, and, you know, I've always remained a, a fan. But, yeah, I'm very, I'm very privileged and honoured to be you know, down as part of the club's history as one of the homegrown players that was very successful at the club. And, um, you know, I I, I have a lot of pride when I walk into Stamford Bridge. Every time I walk in the club, I still feel that, you know, I'm a part of the football club and, and, you know, this is my second home, really.
0: Absolutely, as you should. Frank, thanks so much for joining us today. Hopefully we'll catch up with you soon.
3: Yeah, my pleasure. Cheers, guys. Take it easy.
0: That's just about it for this episode of Straight Out of Cobham. Chaps, what are you writing about this week, Liam? You've got a rare free week with no midweek game.
1: Yeah, well, I, I was worried what you were going to say there when a free week, they, <laughs> they don't really exist. But um, yeah, we'll be homing in on the, the home form, um, why why it's been such an issue, maybe delving into more of the tactical side of why that's happening. And um, and, and just obviously monitoring anything that happens transfer-wise and, and, and particularly the search for a striker to to rival Abraham. And Dom, it's just occurred
0: to me that there's no London club in the League Cup semi-final, so what's your brief for this week? Uh, I'm revisiting a theme
2: that we uh, discussed earlier in the pod, um, the injuries over the festive season um, and how football, um, maybe compared to American sports, um, is trying to deal with that.
0: All right. uh, Just a heads up before we go. The Athletic will be dropping a transfer daily pod every Monday to Friday in January, so keep an ear out for that. We'll be back same time, same place next week. Do join us then if you can. Bye for now.